Welcome to The Journey to Worthy, a feel-good podcast for women who are on a powerful journey to self-love. And wait a minute, hold on. While most of that's true, we all know the journey is not always rainbows and butterflies. Sometimes it's really tough. That's why on this podcast, you'll hear real, raw, and mostly unedited stories about the complex journey to finding self-love. I'm your host, Rachel Spencer. After battling an eating disorder and finally realizing my own self-worth, I'm here to help you see that no matter how difficult your journey is, you've been worthy all along. Hey beauties, today you are in for a special treat because I have the beautiful Nitika Chopra as a guest. Nitika is a blogger, inspiring talk show host, self-love guru, a chronic illness advocate, and just so much more. She wears so many hats, but overall she is a woman on a mission to inspire self-love. She wants everyone to fall in love with who they are, recognize their inner and outer beauty, and finally learn how to thrive with a chronic illness. Thank you so much for being here with us, Nitika. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I am so just excited to dive into who you truly are and everything you know about self-love and chronic illness, but I'm going to hand the mic over to you for a second, and if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey to getting to where you are today. Sure. Well, um, yeah, as you so beautifully said, um, I, I do a lot of different things. Um, I'm a talk show host and a content creator, and um, I create a lot of content, whether it's on social media or it's um, through my website and through live events. And I've been doing my work for um, about nine years now. So yeah, I'm not sure what you want me to focus on specifically, but that's like the gist. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about, I know that you've, you've been dealing with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis since you were what, 10? Well, I would, yes. Yeah. So like I was diagnosed with psoriasis when I was 10 years old and then I was diagnosed with um, psoriatic arthritis when I was 19. So I'm 37 now. So oh it's God. been, you know, 27 years on the journey with my health for sure. Yeah. And I know that you, you know, have a mission for helping people not just thrive with their chronic illness, but kind of take it day by day. I mean, what, how would you say it affects your daily life? I mean, I think it depends on where I'm at with my conditions and with my health. I mean, right now, you know, I'm not feeling like I feel good and I, I, there's no flare up happening or anything like that. So it's not visually affecting my life in any way. Um, but, you know, there's been many years where it affected me to the point where I couldn't, you know, move. I couldn't put my own clothes on. I couldn't chop vegetables. I couldn't do basic human things. And even though I'm not at that extreme anymore, um, and, you know, I hope I, I never get there again, I feel like when you have something as insidious and as chronic as, you know, some of these conditions that millions of people have around the world, it is, it affects you in ways that you can't always um, put a finger on, you know, unless you're really trying to do the work to understand yourself better. And so 
for me, it doesn't really affect me in, in a negative way right now, but you know, it means that I have to be much more mindful of my energy. And it means that I have to be much more mindful if I am, you know, going, going, going for a 12 hour work day that like, I can't do that more than, you know, a certain amount of times a month or a week, because if I do, I will reap the, you know, I'll, it'll wreak havoc on my, yeah. on my body. Yeah. Um, so self-care is like yeah. extremely important to you. Yeah. It's it just a way of life. Yeah. And, and it affects, you know, it, it's a part of my life in terms of my condition because I watch what I eat because of it. And I, you know, I'm really mindful of the people that I spend time with because of it and all these different things. But I think I always just say like, that's my lens and that's how, you know, I filter through life. But whether you're like an entrepreneur and you've had a lot of ups and downs with that, or you've dealt with, you know, um, like other things with financial stuff, or you, you know, fight through crazy things with relationships or, you know, I mean, everybody's got their lens, right? So that's just, that just happens to be mine at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Well, I actually want to take a step back for a second. And for those who don't know, can you explain really what psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis is? Sure. Yeah. So psoriasis is an autoimmune condition and um, you know, so that's something that you would consider to be like inside your body, but it's actually something that's pretty visible, um, depending on the degree in which you have it. And I had it, um, covering, you know, 90 to 98% of my body for about 16 years of my life. So the way that it looks when it's on your body is that you basically get these, um, patches of skin that are like scaly patches of skin. They say that your skin is regenerating like seven times faster than the normal rate. And so it's actually creating these like extra layers of skin on top of your skin. That's like a way of thinking of it. And so, um, you know, as I said, some people have it and it's like a small little patch on their elbow or something on their, you know, scalp or something like that. I just happened to get it all over. And um, the arthritis, if you kind of think of psoriasis as inflammation of the skin, psoriatic arthritis is like inflammation of your joints, you know. Um, and so they're connected, and oftentimes people have one and not the other, um, but oftentimes people have both. And, um, yeah, and I, I got that at 19, and it started to take over all of my joints and kind of deform some of my bones and, you know, all this stuff. So I had to kind of take some pretty serious action to get that under control around that time. Yeah. And did it take a mental toll on you? Because I know a lot is happening physically, but did you just kind of deal with it and take it day by day? Or did you have issues with, you know, negative self-talk and things going on around having, you know, a chronic illness, which a lot of other people don't understand? Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the question. It was very hard emotionally. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about what I do because, I think a lot of times when people aren't forced to face pain, whether it's physical or emotional, um, you know, they're not really equipped to be with other people who are experiencing pain. And so, and then you're not also equipped with, for it, like you're not equipped to deal with it yourself until you actually have to go through it, right? So mm. you can imagine at 10 years old and, you know, 19 when I got arthritis, I was not equipped to deal with, with the pain that I was right. going through at all. And so I spent, I would say, the first like 10, 11 years of my diagnosis being in like total victim mode, being in and victim mode, just being like, why is this happening to me? 
Like how, you know, God clearly doesn't love me. Like just feeling like, you know, the, the world was closing in on me in a lot of ways. And I felt, you know, being like, I'm, I'm like the chubbiest person in my family and I'm like the dark, one of the darker ones in my family. And, you know, I was in a sea of white Caucasian people in the middle of Ohio for like middle school and elementary school. And I always felt like on the outside as it is. And I also wasn't like, I learned in a very like auditory experiential way. So school was really hard for me because it was very linear and, you know, um, so I just never felt like I fit in anywhere. And then you add, you know, scaling, flaking, itching, bleeding, cracking skin all over my body on top of that. I literally, there were, there were years when I didn't know if I was going to emotionally survive what was going on. Um, so yeah, it was incredibly challenging. And I think it's important to talk about that because, you know, it's very easy to see somebody on Instagram or see somebody, you know, on TV or whatever you were, you know, looking at or reading or watching and think, oh my God, she's so positive and she's so, you know, like she's got it all going on or whatever the right. thought is. And I'm always just like, you know, people who are willing to really, or, you know, willing or brave enough or, you know, maybe forced sometimes <laughs> to sit with their darkness are the ones who are really able to like embody their light, you know? And so I feel like it's as much as you see light in someone, you have to know that it comes from like a very dark place sometimes because they've been through something, you know? Um, So yeah. I love that because it's so true. People think that, you know, you are such a huge motivator for, and, you know, you inspire so many other people. So people assume that you don't have any problems anymore or that your life is perfect. And the fact that you're speaking out about everything that you're going through, I think that that's, you know, why you empower so many. But I mean, now you're on such a huge self-love journey. When was really the turning point for you, I guess, because you struggled so much emotionally with your chronic illness. When was the moment where you were like, I want to learn how to love myself or at least start that process. Yeah, well, I was always like a bit of, my mom calls me this like word in Hindi, which is firecracker, which you say like pataki. So I call like (laughs) all of my girlfriends patakis because we all totally are. And, um, you know, I was always a pataki, like seriously, from the moment I was born, I was just like, I had this like fiery, you know, convicted personality. And I just really have always been that way. So even under all of the pressure and the sadness and all of that, there was always a part of me that like wanted to believe that there has to be something better out Mm -hmm. there. And like, there has to be more to life than this, I think. Um, But I didn't have any examples of that, right? I didn't have any examples of someone who was like me that's ever really made anything of themselves at that time, right? So I had this feeling, and then I didn't really know what to do with it or where to put it. And when I was 19, another thing that happened besides getting arthritis is I started dating uh, my former husband. So um, we started dating, and we're no longer together anymore, but I will always say that he taught me what happiness was. He showed me, he saw the light that people see today in me then when all I could see was darkness. I did not see light at all when we first started dating. 
Um, because my reality was I was barely, I mean, I, sometimes I'm just like, you were nuts to start dating me and then go ahead and marry me because I was barely moving and I was really sick. And, you know, a lot of it happened very fast with my body. So I think he fell in love with me and then it all pretty much like changed. So, you know, it was like, you know, it all happened very fast, but I mean, yeah, he just never saw this like diseased person that like I felt was all I was for so long. Mm -hmm. So he showed me, then he introduced me to, um, some courses, like some, it's called like the landmark forum. Some people have done it. Oh yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. And like, I'm not, you know, like a landmark forum, you know, huge advocate, like everybody needs to do it. But at the time and, you know, the place I was in my life and everything, it was the perfect thing for me at that moment, you know, and it really, it kind of cracked me open um, to knowing that as much as I, all I saw was darkness at that time, that there was another way. And I, it wasn't that it like made me be that other way right away or that I just like transformed right away or anything, but I didn't even know that there was another way, you know what I mean? So it was that course and that program. And then, you know, that person in my life that really showed me that, yes, this is really hard and like horrible in so many ways, but there's another way. Wow. So amazing. And, you know, for people who are being diagnosed with a chronic illness, I mean, what's one piece of advice you would give them? Oh, gosh. I mean... I know there's tons, but yeah. if you could kind of just think of one that would help them the most, it was so mentally and emotionally mm -hmm. taxing. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was, and this is actually how my former husband and I started dating, but... I'm not assuming that everyone who says this is going to get a husband out of it. So don't <laughs> agree on that. But, um, you know, I was very overwhelmed and my parents had actually just moved to India at the time and I was living in Connecticut going to college. And so I didn't have anybody, you know, around me that could help me navigate all of these like doctors and all the different things. I mean, I remember, you know, being at this family wedding and, you know, I was sitting there and all these like adults were coming up to me telling me like what to eat and what not to eat and what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. And, you know, now we have social media doing that for us. Right. So it's yeah. like, it's just very overwhelming. And I, I turned to my, you know, former husband and who was just a friend at the time and just said like, will you be my guide? Like, will you help me? You know? And he didn't know what the hell he was doing either, you know, but it was like extending my hand out and saying, I need help was kind of like my job in the scenario, right? Like a lot of times I talk about this a lot, like breaking the cycle of isolation um, when we're experiencing trauma or challenges in our life because it's so easy to be like, well, I'm the only one who's dealing with this or you're not going to want to hear about this or I'm not going to you know, attract what I want if I speak negatively or whatever it is. And I think just owning that things are hard is like the most loving thing you can do for yourself sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, so me owning that it was hard, owning that I didn't know what I was doing, and then asking him to just be my guide. And again, he didn't know what, what that, like, he didn't know anything about the condition. So what that really meant was just knowing that it was okay if I needed to talk to him about it, knowing that, you know, I could text him or call him if I had a question about a drug and I felt overwhelmed or, you know what I mean? Like just right. having that sounding board. Um, and it might be a family member, it might be, you know, somebody that, lives with you or somebody that, you know, you, maybe someone you don't even know that well, but you feel like you can trust them. 
Um, but just having that one person, I think the first step is owning that it's hard and it's okay. And you did not fail because your body is showing up in this way. Mm. Um, and that, you know, you, you need support. I think those are probably like the key things right in the beginning. Yeah. So, so powerful. And I'm a big Mm -hmm. advocate for asking for help and getting support as well, because I'm the same way, you know, whenever I was in the depths of my eating disorder, you know, it, it, I couldn't get myself out of it. I needed somebody close to me to actually say, Hey, I think you have a problem and I want to help you. So, I mean, I definitely value the support system that I have. So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's so, so important. And I know that you've been talking about, you know, family and relationships a lot. And, you know, as an Indian woman and a daughter of, of immigrants, I know that that's something that you're extremely proud of. Um, how would you say that your culture is interwoven throughout your journey and your business overall? Um, I think that, you know, it's maybe not always obvious, but I think I've thought about this a lot throughout my time, especially as an entrepreneur, I've been doing my work for over nine years now. And I think, um, there's a sense of like duty that I have, I guess that, um, I just really don't take anything for granted. I think mixed with like the fact that I've had so many health challenges, but also with the fact that my parents have done everything that they can and sacrificed so much to, you know, give my brother and I the life that we have. And, um, you know, I don't know, there's just a sense of like wanting to show them that it wasn't all like for nothing and that I really appreciate them. And I think that there's this intrinsic thing and especially in children that have, you know, parents that were immigrants that like, you know, we just want to like support our parents. Like I feel like they've been through so much and they've already done so much. Um, And I think that's true with any parent. Honestly, I think being a parent is like the hardest job ever. But, um, you know, I just really have that sense of like duty and just like respect for my parents, just knowing, I mean, how hard it is just for me to like get a blog post out, let alone like move to a country where I don't know anything and no one has any money. So, (laughs) right. No, yeah. Well, I can definitely say that, um, you know, you've definitely made them proud because you're doing so, so much. And in fact, like you do tons of interviews, you know, like you said, you, you've been a talk show host and an expert on QVC and you do a lot of speaking events. And I saw that on your Instagram, you did something for Glamour Magazine as well. I mean, what, what would you say is like your overall mission whenever you do those events? Like, what do you want people who hear your story to really take away from it? Um, I think, you know, there's so many things, but I think the main thing is just like knowing that they're not alone. Mm. Um, I think that's, you know, when I talk about breaking the cycle of isolation, I think there's just this deep loneliness and this deep void that many people are trying to fill with things that are pretty toxic or unfulfilling. And I think that there's this, there's like a very healing thing that happens when we just identify something where we feel like we're not alone and it's actually in a way that, um, yeah, makes us feel complete, like makes us feel like we're not, you know, screwing everything up or makes us feel like we're not, um, you know, we're not so off track just because things aren't going exactly the way that we want them to. And so I think I feel that like when people, when I hear people speak or, you know, 
I'm listening to Michelle Obama's book right now. I'm just like, oh God, like, I mean, my life is nothing like Michelle Obama's for God's yeah. sake. But, you know, even just, even just like the way, you know, she describes um, so many things in her life and she, um, you know, talks about just like the nuances of being a kid and like the nuances of, you know, being uncomfortable and awkward in moments and different things like that. I'm like, oh, we're the same. Like, I was just like that. You know, that happened to me too. And then I feel like, oh, okay, so like I didn't ruin everything or mess anything up. That just happened to be how my life was too. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yes. Oh my so, God, absolutely. Yeah, so I hope people feel that when they hear things that I say, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you do a lot of these events and do you ever have any like surreal moments? Like I know, um, whenever I was, you know, featured, um, on in self magazine, I remember the moment where I was like, Whoa, this is surreal. Like this is the moment. (laughs) And then, you know, everything that kept happening after that, I had to stop and practice gratitude because I was like, this is actually, you know, more than I could have ever imagined. I mean, do you ever feel that surreal feeling whenever you're getting asked to do those events? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I really don't take anything for granted. Um, and I think that every, I mean, I feel like every day or if not every week I have moments where I'm just like, wow, like I can't believe I get to do this. Um, you know, and I can't believe like this person, see something in me, not because I don't think I'm worthy of seeing something in, but it's just like a beautiful gift. Um, when someone sees the thing that you hope people will see. Um, and I also just feel like I've kind of, you know, gone for it. Like so many of us, um, you know, with like most odds against me when I started, especially. Um, and so I think there's just like never a day where I'm you know, where that's lost on me. I think I'm constantly just like, oh God, like I'm so proud of myself for just going for it. And I'm grateful that, you know, things are coming together and it's, you know, like seems like it's happening and, you know, things are, things are good, but it's really in, in every, every moment, you know, it's not so much just in in like one thing. I mean, there's obviously like when I got my own talk show or when I was, you know, live on QVC for one of my favorite beauty brands or, you know, things like that. It's great. Like I love all of that. And that's obviously slightly more exciting than just like a random email, but like, (laughs) um, but I'm honestly like moved by all of it. I really, really am. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what, what's your favorite way to practice gratitude? Because I feel like that's lost on so many people. They're like, okay, do I just say something I'm grateful for and that's it? Or do I need to do an exercise or do you feel like there are no rules? Well, I definitely feel like there are no rules. I think people, I think people like to think about, you know, the rules and how to do things perfectly just to procrastinate and stop themselves from actually doing it. So I'm like, just open your mouth and say something. Um, I think, you know, I've been like definitely someone to do that as well. So it's not like a blame thing. It's like, I see that in myself. Um, I think I, you know, I didn't really believe or understand the gratitude practice for a long time. I think it felt very esoteric and intangible like it does for many people. And then I just started doing it. I was just like, okay, well, what do I have to lose? Right. And I started to just list out like three to five things every night before I go to bed that I'm grateful for from that day. 
And it doesn't matter how bad the day was or what went on or whatever. It was just like, what, what are three things at the very least that I can think of? And I have to say, like, I feel like it's life changing when you just, you know, make it a consistent practice because I mean, I find it to be, I find your gratitude practice to be like a prayer, you know, and I, I'm very spiritual. So I'm praying all day long. I'm thanking God all day long. I'm, you know, acknowledging that I'm not doing this all by myself all day long. And so the gratitude practice to me is just like an extension of all of that. Um, and yeah, and it feels, it feels great when I practice it. Yeah. It's so simple too. Yeah. Just like say three things at the very least that you're grateful for. And it's something so simple, but really it does change the game. And, you know, I tell people to, you know, write success lists at the end of the day too, because we get so caught up in our to-do list and everything we haven't accomplished yet that we never take a moment to just be grateful for everything that we have done. Mm -hmm. And speaking of your business, um, what does your business really look like today? I mean, do you accept one-on-one clients or is it mostly blogging and speaking? Um, it's a variety of different things. I do accept one-on-one clients. I accept just very few. It's not something that I promote even that often. Um, I do, uh, deep dives in my apartment with like a small group of women, um, every couple of months. And then I also do like zoom, you know, video calls with clients and, and stuff like that. But mostly what I do is I create content. And so I'll create content on my own platforms and I'll also get hired to create content on other people's platforms. Um, you know, I host a lot. I also, I host my own events and, um, I'm also launching a podcast, which I think by the time this yeah. is out, it'll probably be out. So that's coming out January 6th, um, called the point of pain. So like just creating content as much as I possibly can and then getting paid to do that. Yes. That is so amazing. Well, there's something spoken about yet that I'm going to talk about. What? Can you tell us more about the resistance revival chorus, <laughs> Miss Singer? <laughs> yes, I totally, I was like, what is that? What I know, I know, I was like, oh my gosh, you're like, what is she calling me out for? <laughs> um, yeah, totally. I mean, the Resistance Revival Chorus was started the summer of 2017, and um, my dear friend, Paula Mendoza, she and I are in like a group together, um, you know, outside of the resistance. And she had sent us all like an email saying, we're looking for female singers. And I have saying, it's actually like my, my greatest practice of prayer is, is song and singing. And it's been something that's been a huge part of my spirit from, you know, the age of 13 years old. And I took voice lessons for most of my life and all the things, but um, you know, as an Indian woman whose parents were pretty um, pretty conservative growing up, they've loosened up since, but they were pretty conservative growing up. I wasn't really allowed to practice. Um, you know, I wasn't allowed to pursue music, mm-hmm. and so it was always kind of a pain point for me, um, and like a really challenging uh, thing for me because I loved singing so much. Anyway, so Paula sent this email out to our group and she was like, we're looking for female singers, come to our first rehearsal. And I was like, well, there's no way I can't come to the rehearsal. Like I don't sing in public. Like that's just not (laughs) something that I do. You know, it's like been ingrained in me since I was a kid. And then I saw the first rehearsal on Instagram and I 
messaged her immediately. And I was like, please tell me I can still join. And I've been there in almost every single rehearsal. I think I missed one rehearsal because I was really sick um, since then for the last year and a half. And it has been an incredible thing. I mean, Paola and several other women, Ginny Suss and Sarah Sophie Flicker, among a few others, were um, an integral part of the Women's March that happened in um, January 2016, 2017. Sorry. And so um, this was really created because they were all exhausted. And they felt like, you know, they knew they needed to keep showing up and they knew they needed to keep, you know, raising their voices and they had a lot more that they wanted to do, but they also needed to, um, you know, be okay and have self care and, you know, figure out a balance. So they, through a series of conversations, created this course and really created joy as an act of resistance. And so it's been, it's been one of the greatest blessings um, of my year for sure. Um, if not my life. I mean, it just feels unbelievably incredible to be a part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. So beautiful because, you know, they're not just raising their voices as far as speaking out, but actually raising your singing voices. And I find that a lot of the time through the arts, that is what gets people to listen. You know, would you say that that's kind of their main mission is to have more people join along and really understand um, uh, feminism and kind of what's going on in the world? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we just want people, um, like joy is an act of resistance is like a huge part of what our mission is, you know? And I think that we're still like pinpointing exactly what our literal mission is, but (laughs) anytime, um, anytime we can, you know, bring awareness to certain issues, um, kind of make people uncomfortable that need to be uncomfortable and, and share things with them that, you know, are important. Um, like talking about going to the NRA and singing to them when we're in a room full of conservative people or, you know, talking about singing at the border and taking back our children when we're in a room full of people who believe in building a wall or, you know, things like that, which we've done many times over. I think it's just awareness and um, community, sisterhood, um, and then, yeah, and then also using our voice for good. Oh, I love it so much. And do you guys create albums? I mean, how can people find and listen to you guys? Well, we are on Spotify, but I think the best place to find us is on Instagram right now, um, just at Resistance Revival Chorus. And we're actually in talks about creating uh, our first album. So... Mm. Yay. Yeah, and we did like some Spotify sessions with Jim James recently, which I haven't even posted about it. I think I've been so busy, I have forgot to post about it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so we've done a bunch of things um, that are really exciting and awesome and, and stuff. But if you follow us on Instagram, like our shows are always up there. Um, whatever we have coming up is always up there. We do not exactly monthly anymore, but often, you know, every month or several months, um, every couple months, we we do like a you know, open to the public show. That's not someone hiring us to do a show, but it's like something people can buy tickets for. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So all that's on our Instagram for sure. Yeah. I definitely stalked your Instagram stories with the resistance survival chorus. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, they look like they're having so much fun. And so I was like, <laughs> I have to ask about it. <laughs> well, I only have a couple more questions for you. First of all, what is something that most people don't know about you? Oh gosh. Um, I don't, Oh, um, (laughs) um, I don't know what 
I would say to that. I think, I think the biggest thing, oh, maybe that I'm an introvert, although I do talk about that more now than I used to. But a lot of people never believe me when I tell them that I'm a hardcore introvert. I was just about to say, I would never know. Yeah, I I try to talk about it more because I feel like, you know, uh, I can, yeah, people just don't necessarily always understand where I'm coming from certain times, but like people will see me online or they'll hear me on a show or something and they'll be like, oh my God, she's so friendly. She's so open. And yes, I am all of those things and I love people, but I'm incredibly introverted. So like a lot of times when I meet people in person, um, I can feel like very guarded and it's not because like I don't like people right. or because I don't like you or anything like that. It's just because I, I'm very introverted and I can be kind of like self-protective in that way. So I think um, it takes me like a minute to kind of, you know, fully warm up and open up when I am in person with people because I'm so sensitive and introverted and all that stuff. People don't necessarily believe about me usually, but yeah, yeah. I'll meet me in person and try everything. (laughs) I know I love that. I mean, we're, we're both fellow New Yorkers. So I see you around the city. You better believe I'm going to be running with bells (laughs) for you. Yeah. Well, you'll know if I look scared and afraid, it's not because of you. It's because of me. (laughs) So just Oh my God. Okay. And then what is one piece of advice for our listeners who are on a self-love journey and are struggling? Hmm. Um, I think, you know, the thing about self-love, I have a definition of self-love. I think the thing, one of the things that's hard about self-love is that it feels much like some of the things we were talking about earlier. It feels very esoteric and intangible. So Mm -hmm. the way I like to break self-love down is by saying that self-love is the ability to be more committed to your happiness than to your suffering in every moment. Mm. And it really, that really stuck out to me as the definition of it because I just feel like it is about those tiny, tiny, tiny moments and those tiny, tiny, tiny actions. It's not really about like these huge sweeping life changes that you might see people doing on Instagram. You know, those might come too, and those are great if that feels authentic and real. But to honest, to be honest with you, like what's most loving to me is in like the moments when I'm feeling depleted and I'm feeling tired. Like I took a shower before my first interview this morning instead of waiting till later in the day because I was like, okay, if I take it at this time, I'm going to feel more prepared, and then I'm going to feel like I've got more time to get to my event that I have to go to. You know what I mean? Like it's. literally just saying, and that's, it's so, it's like the minutia of life sometimes. And other times it's, you know, putting on a wonderful dress or, you know, getting a good lipstick out and feeling beautiful and, you know, going for a run if that's exciting for you. But a lot of times it's like that moment to moment to moment thing. So when you're like, what is self-love? It's being more committed to your happiness than to your suffering in every moment. So, you know, I mean, I think of that goes down to everything to like even the food that you eat, right? It's like, it's not about you eating kale so that you can show people you eat kale or, you know, track your calories or any of that. It's like, okay, I'm going to eat the kale right now or, you know, the chicken because that feels like what your body needs or whatever, even the piece of dark chocolate because my, that's what like would make me feel the most loved in this moment and just knowing yourself well enough to know how to make those choices. Yeah. And that is so 
powerful because people think that it has to be difficult or some huge instant transformation or defining moment. And it's like, no, it's in the simple, tiny moments that real change happens. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Nitika. This, this has been amazing. Thank you for I, having me. I feel me. so uplifted just from talking to you. It's your vibe is just so amazing. And I feel like I've learned so much and so many people are going to learn from you. Oh, it's so beautiful. Thank you. Well, where can people find you and connect with you? Yeah. So I think the best place is Instagram. Of course. Um, I'm just at Nitika Chopra and I love, um, you know, writing and sharing content on my blog as well. So you can go to nitikachopra.com. And yeah, my podcast is on Spotify and iTunes and all the things. So you can share, you can search for, the point of pain. Yes. And I have just recently subscribed. So Thank you. I'm super excited to Thank hear you. everything. Um, but again, thank you so, so much for being here. And to our listeners, thank you so much for letting us be part of your journey. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a beat. And if you really loved it, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave me a positive review on iTunes. For more self-love inspo, body acceptance, and mental health support, come follow me over on Instagram. You can find me at MyCoachRachel. See you next time.